The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, good morning, New Life. Good to see you all here today. There's something about Psalm 23 in there. This morning we're beginning a series of messages that'll take us through the end of the summer, uh, the end of August. Uh, on, we're going to walk through the Lord is my shepherd. And one of my goals through this series is that it might become kind of a default setting for the background of your mind. You know how when you turn on your confu- computer there's a default font you know, maybe it's Sans, Comic Sans, or maybe it's Times New Roman, or maybe it's, did you know there's a ponytail font? I just saw that the other day. Um, uh, anyway, so whatever your default font, what if you woke up in the morning, your default background is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The end of the day, as you are getting ready to fall asleep, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you experience something really good, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you get bad news, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you turn on the 24 hours news, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so to do that, I would like for us to try to kind of memorize it together. And so let's just begin today with the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. If you would read this with me after I say, Psalm 23, just read it with me out loud. Now, so let's try this right now. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is wonderful. Sometimes there's a surly group amongst us that doesn't like to cooperate. You're the cooperative group. I appreciate that this morning. Let's, let's say it one more time. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What is so powerful about this? What, is, what draws us so much? I think one thing that draws us to Psalm 23 is that it's just kind of universally appealing. So much divisiveness today. People are divided about so many things. It's really hard to be divided over, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I suppose the PETA people could get upset about it somehow because, but sheep are not injured in this whole psalm. Even PETA people have to like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a universal appeal. I think the reason it has the strongest appeal, of course, is because ultimately it's about Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When Jewish children, Jewish boys went to synagogue to learn from the rabbis, they would learn, for instance, that Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 are messianic psalms. 
These Psalms describe who the Messiah will be. So when Jesus shows up in John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. All these people with Jewish backgrounds will be thinking, Psalm 23, is he claiming to be the Messiah? And then he adds in verse 27, I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. He defines for us what it means to be a follower of him, a disciple of him. There's so much confusion. This has a special meaning for us today because there's so much confusion that we want to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus commands us, go and make disciples of all nations. Go be a disciple who makes disciples, but there's lots of confusion. I'll hear people say all the time, well, what's it mean to be a disciple? How do I know what it means? I mean, who talks like that? I mean, very few people talk like disciple, use that language anymore. Today, I want, in this series, we're going to clear up the confusion. We're going to clear up the mystery this summer so that when you hear Jesus say, go and make disciples, be my disciples, you'll think Psalm 23, and you'll be able to answer that question. Oh, this is what it means. Jesus is the good shepherd. I hear his voice. He knows me. I hear his voice and follow him. I think the passage is so powerful because it's life-changing, though. Old minister by the name of Dr. Charles and uh, Allen tells of a time that a friend came to see him. He had just been to the doctor. The doctor, he, he had literally become so anxious, so filled with um, tension that he was making himself sick. And the doctor said, I have done all, that I, all I can to help. You really need to get counsel. And so he goes to his minister's office and Dr. Allen listens to him for a while, then takes out a sheet of paper and starts writing. He says to his friend, if you would have gone to the doctor, he would have written you a prescription and ordered you to follow this prescription to the letter. I'm going to write a prescription for you, and I want you to follow it exactly as I write it. Five times a day for the next seven days, he said, I want you to read prayerfully and carefully through Psalm 23. When you get up in the morning, I want you to read prayerfully and carefully Psalm 23. When you have a meal, before you eat a meal, um, assuming this man was having three meals, I want you to read through Psalm 23 slowly, prayerfully, meaningfully. Before you go to bed at night, I want you to read through Psalm 23 slowly, prayerfully, meditatively. And then come back to me next week and we'll see what happens. Seven days later, the man came back and his life was being transformed. Dr. Allen noted that he had a new spirit, a new sense of peace, a new sense of hope. What is powerful about the shepherd's psalm is that when we get to know the shepherd in the psalm, we discover a power to deal with our pressures and problems in a new way. So in our time together today, I want to introduce for us the shepherd's psalm by talking about this first verse especially. Push the pause button, though. Before we get to that, I want you to understand you're getting plan B this morning. Welcome to plan B. Uh, plan A was Patrick McGinnis. I, um, many of you are familiar with Patrick, know Patrick. He, I interviewed him in November on, for a message that we did on having joy, no matter what you're going through in life, Patrick has had a couple of heart surgeries. 
he has neuropathy, he has MS, he also is, has stage four cancer. Um, a couple of weeks ago, he called and said, Brett, the pain is, has become too great. The doctors say the best way to treat me is to put me in hospice. They're no longer going to treat the cancer. They're going to treat the, the pain. And the good news is that he's not been in nearly as much pain since then. And he was still playing, but he, but he said, Brett, I have, I have one interview I want to do. I, I, I still want to do one more interview. I, I really want to share with people. And I thought the beginning of Psalm 23 would be great for Patrick to be able to t- talk with you how he went from, he would have told you that 10 years ago, the Lord being his shepherd was kind of a general theological, theoretic thing, theoretical thing. But today it's personal and real. The Lord is his shepherd. Um, but uh, a couple of days ago, he called and said, the, the, other, the, the other thing going on with Patrick is that his son, his 28-year-old son, Nicholas, also has stage four cancer. It's in his brain. And on Friday, or on, uh, earlier this week, they discovered that there was bleeding in his brain. They had brain, uh, blood clots in his legs as well. And so they had to rush him back to the hospital in Philadelphia. They were hoping that he'd get out by the end of the week, but, um, but by yesterday, Nicholas was unresponsive. And so, um, so yesterday, about 2 o'clock, um, Patrick realized he needed to go back to Philadelphia to, to be with uh, Elizabeth and Nicholas. And, um, and so m- maybe we'll reschedule that. Um, we'll see how, how, how capable Patrick is and, and how God provides for that. But... Um, so we're going to pray for them this morning um, before we get started, and this is where Psalm 23 gets real. We really need the Lord to be our shepherd, don't we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are in this place and that we know that this is not just good poetry, but that this is, you, you are real. And our prayer is that you would be real today to Nicholas. We don't understand what happens, where, where he is right now mentally. Um, but my prayer, Lord, we know that you love him more than, he, more than any parent has ever loved him, more than any person can ever love him. And my prayer is that he would know that you are holding him in your strong hands. I don't know how angels work, but I pray that the angels would be present with him, strengthening him that he's, he would know even in his most silent moments that he is not alone, but that you are with him. Um, Lord, we pray that you would heal him. That's our prayer. We know that you can. Lord, we pray for Patrick as, and all that he is going through right now. Again, I, we continue to pray for remission. We know you, that you are the great healer. Uh, we thank you for how you are walking with him and the encouragement that he gives to all of us and how he has shared his, his love for you with so many people and so many people are being drawn to you. Lord, we pray that you would restore him physically, but we also pray as Jesus did in the garden, knowing that your will is wisest and most loving. And we pray for Elizabeth and what she faces now with a husband and a son that she dearly loves, that in those moments of loneliness and in those places of loneliness in her soul that she would know your presence and strength. And Lord, I pray for that, that for each of us here today as we walk through this psalm. 
that you'd be our shepherd, that we would let you. Through Christ I pray, amen. There's something powerful about Psalm 23, so all we're gonna do is kind of walk through this verse word by word. What is so powerful about it? Well, it, it begins with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Think about what that means. This word, the Lord, is the word in Hebrew, Yahweh. We actually don't know how to pronounce it because it was such a holy, it is the most personal name for God. The people, the Jewish people were so afraid of taking the Lord's name in vain, they would never pronounce it except the high priest on the most holy day of the, of the year in the Holy of Holies, and so nobody ever heard it. So, uh, but when we think of this, it's meaning there, there are lots of names for God in the Bible, about a thousand in fact, but this is the most personal. This is the one that takes us back to Exodus chapter three when Moses is being sent by God into Egypt and Moses grew up in Egypt. He grew up in a polytheistic environment and he says to God who's in the burn, speaking from the burning bush, who are you? Give me your name. Define yourself for me. In a sense, he's saying, put yourself in a box for me. And God says, no. I am the undefined God. I am the God who cannot be put into a box. And so he answers not with an outer pronoun, but with a verb, essentially, with the most expansive verb possible, to be. I am that I am, he says. Tell them I am has sent you. I am the God who is knowable, who is transcendent, and yet imminent. The Lord, that God, is our shepherd. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? When you think of God, I think it would be helpful for us to just think for a minute about some names and attributes for God. Our assistant, Madison, is gonna write them on the screen for us as you say them. But let's just kind of think through. What are the names of God? When you think of God, the Lord, Yahweh, what comes to mind? Can I have one person? So many. Healer. Healer. Aren't we so thankful he can heal? What? Conqueror. conqueror. Mighty conqueror, right? That's the Jesus was promised to be. What else? Comforter. comforter. You know who says comforter? Somebody who's been comforted. Somebody who's gone through deep pain and you know nobody can comfort you in that depth of your pain except the Lord who is the comforter. What else? Father. What else? Savior. What else? Provider. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to places I need. He takes me to, he provides the food. Um, what else? Teacher. teacher. And a patient teacher, fortunately, because I'm in the slow class spiritually. I have a hard time learning, just ask my wife. What else? Counselor. Counselor. Emmanuel, present, God with us. Love, merciful. Creator. creator. Don't you love, I love, think about that one. Atheists think they can trump us on this one. Say, who created the world? God created. Where does all this come from? The creator, God. God's the creator. And they say, oh, but who created God? As though that's like some, well, wait a second. God, by definition, is the uncreated one. 
if there had been one who created God, that would be God. But the fact that he is the creator of all things is what makes him God. Think about, let, think about that. The God who created, you ever go outside at night and, and, and think about, somebody said love. Psalm, Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Think about the massive nature of creation. How great, you just look at the sky, think how deep the sky, and I can't see, I, I, I can't understand how deep it is, but the creator of all of that, his love is deeper for me than that. The creator of all of that is the Lord, my shepherd. Isn't that powerful? You know what? Nobody said judge. He is the judge, which is kind of scary. Unless the judge is your savior and somebody over here said father. Unless the judge is your father who is your savior who no matter what you did, he has already paid the price to set you free. I am so thankful for the worship that we've done this morning. Isn't that powerful worship? Praise the name of the Lord Most High. Let's just take some time right now and praise God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we worship you, God. We take a few moments in this time to focus on your greatness, on your power, on your perfection, on um, how you're beyond eternity. <laughs> giver of life, giver of joy, judge, and yet Savior, Father. And yet we know even in that we are, our, our minds are too finite to even comprehend your nature. And yet, Lord, that you are the Lord who is our shepherd. Um, Lord, help us to live in that power. Through Christ I pray. Amen. The Lord is our Shepherd, it's not just the power that is in the fact that he is the Lord, but he is the present. The Lord is my shepherd. Present tense, active. Now, I know all of you Hebrew scholars are saying, well, the verb is not there. It's implied in the subject, okay, but it's still there. Present tense, active. Think about what that means. He is the is shepherd. You know, we admire people for the work that they've done in the past. Go downtown, we have lots of monuments for the work that people have done in the past, but they're gone. We look at little babies, and part of the thing, the wonder of little babies is we wonder, what will they be? Oh, maybe she will discover a cure for cancer. Maybe she'll be the first president, female president of the United States. Maybe he'll be a great preacher someday. Maybe he'll be a great football player who may bring professional football back to Washington someday. Maybe the hope will be in him to do that. We look forward to the, he is the God who wasn't just, but to be, but he is the, is God. When I think of the greatness of God, the is God, I think he is the God who not only created all things, but, you know, he was, he was there 
guiding Hammurabi somehow in his code writing. At the beginning of the Akkadian and Sumerian dynasties, at the, he watched the Egyptian dynasties rise and fall and the building of the pyramids. He watched the Assyrians rise and fall. He watched the Babylonians rise and fall. He watched Cyrus come in in Persia and take over. He watched the, the, you know, Alexander the Great come at age 30 to 33 and take over the world and spread Greek culture. He watched the Caesars make Rome the greatest uh, uh, empire of its day. He watched the Muslims as they went through the Middle East and took over North Africa and went into Spain and almost made it to, 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 to France except for good old Charles Martel. Um, and then, um, I'm really enjoying this way too much, but he, the, um, he's seen all of that. He watched the beginning of the United States and he is that, that God who watched nations rise and fall he is our God. And he is the God who is to come. If I can geek out just a little bit more, there is a word for present that is used, presence that is used in the New Testament. Talking about the presence of Jesus, it is the word parousia. Jesus is present with us. There's also a word that's used 13 times for the second coming of Jesus. When you want to think about the second coming of Jesus, this is the word that they use. It's the word 13 times at least in the New Testament, parousia. When it talks about the presence of Jesus, parousia. When it talks about the coming of Jesus, parousia. Why? Because our hope in Christ is a present hope. It is an is hope but it's not just by and by in the future. Someday we're going to have this hope. Our hope is real right now because our hope is Jesus, the one who's coming, the one who's conquered the grave, the one who wins at the end of the day. He is our hope and he is present. He, the Lord, is our shepherd. He is the is shepherd. Isn't that powerful? Our hope is in him. He never goes out of style. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherds say it is no accident that God parallels sheep with humans because we have so much in common. Sheep are vulnerable. They're essentially defenseless. They can't run, they're slow. They can't run from their enemies. They are, they don't have, you know, any kind of natural defenses, teeth or anything like that. That's why you never see a, <laughs> you never see a sports team, the fighting sheep, you know. Although probably could have been the commander's name. At any rate, how about that? Just kind of beaten up on them on the Washington football these days. But it's well earned. Um, as a result, they are naturally fearful and anxious. Sheep are naturally fearful and anxious because they know they're so vulnerable in this world. I got to thinking, if sheep had a 24-hour news cable television, they would, it would be very much like ours, and they would all be gripped to it, trembling in fear because every breaking news story just reminds them of just how vulnerable they are, just how much out of control this world is for them. And sheep are also stupid. They are driven by mob instincts. They are herd beasts. If the crowd goes there, it must be right, even if it's going off a cliff. Even if they're going to eat in pastures that they pooped on yesterday and get themselves sick, that's where, the, that's where they're going because they're 
not very smart. As a result, they're easily lost, pathetic. Sheep can't find food or water on their own either. Take my dog Mocha outside, a beagle mix. I mean, she will smell every smell within a five-mile radius. Take a sheep outside, helpless to find clean water or clean food without a good shepherd. All we like sheep, Isaiah 53 says, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Like sheep, we wander and are anxious, full of fear, follow the crowd, vulnerable, foolish. But the good news is we have a good shepherd who cares for our needs. Matthew 10, verse 29, Jesus says, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have been counted. Resist the temptation to laugh. That's not funny. (laughs) So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Some of you may remember a hymn that was adopted by the Civil Rights Movement because they found it so powerful. It was based on this scripture. The poet that penned it was named Sevilla Martin. She said the song was inspired by a time when they lived in Elvira, New York in 1905. Their neighbors were Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, truly saints of God, she said. Mrs. Martin writes, Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nigh 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happily. They lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day while we were visiting with the the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness. He asked them, what's the secret? Mrs. Doolittle, without hesitation, gave a response, so simple. She said, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped our hearts and fired our imaginations so that I wrote this song. It's a song that I um, sometimes use in personal, in my personal time of worship. So if I, if you would indulge me and you want to join, um, listen to this and just imagine how it's brought so much comfort and strength to so many people. They sang, uh, the words are, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely, longing for heaven and home? If Jesus is my fortress, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know 
He watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Can't you see how that was so inspirational to people in the civil rights movement? I sing because I'm free. Not because of the way people treat me, but because his eye is on me. I know he watches me. That's the power of the promise of the good shepherd. That is why, by the way, I don't know about you, but I'm not too fond of inflation. I don't have giddy emotions when I fill up my tank with $5 a gallon gas. But his eye is on the sparrow. And so I don't need to fret. That's why I don't get the heebie-jeebies or I don't follow the, get into the mob mentality of fear because of people who are fear, filled with fear because of, you know, climate change is going to destroy the world as though God wound this place up and he's no longer our good shepherd. His eyes on the sparrow and I know whatever happens, I can trust him. He's watching me. See, what ultimately makes this a powerful passage, though, is its personal tone. There is an undeniable personal nature to this. The Lord is my shepherd. What's especially meaningful about that to us is when we realize people don't talk like that in ancient times. Remember when Jesus gave the model prayer, our Father who is in heaven? Jesus could have said, my Father who is in heaven. Often we pray, my Father in heaven. But Jesus prayed, our Father. That's the reverent way to pray. You pray in general. You pray reverentially in that way. You don't, it's not an individual, it's not an intimate thing like this but the 23rd Psalm invites us into a personal relationship with the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's the challenge for us today, isn't it? How do we move from the shepherd being a general thing, a doctrinal thing, you know, a, 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 a theoretic thing to, to, to being my shepherd? That's why I was going to have um, Patrick share, and, and maybe he will next week. But I was talking with um, Brendan Loveless, who led worship for us. He's our, uh, our, he in charge of a creative team. He's also our, our, our campus pastor here. Many of you who've been around New Life for a while know that a few years ago, Brendan was diagnosed with stage three uh, colon cancer, and um, God brought him through that and he's been cancer free thus far but recently he had a series of tests that showed there is a spot on his hip 
Now the doctor is optimistic and they've done more tests to examine it more closely, um, but he'll find out the results on Wednesday. It, it could be cancer, it could be some kind of scar, we don't know. But I ask you to pray for Brennan and Natalie in this time. Um, but Brennan has shared with us, even when he was first diagnosed with cancer, how in that moment he was really kind of surprised. You, you don't really know what your faith is until you're put in a moment like that. And he wants to live. He has lots to live for. He loves his wife. He loves his children. He, he wants to live. And yet he said he was also surprisingly at peace because the Lord was close to him. He knew him personally. And the question is, do you know the Good Shepherd personally? How do you do that? The one thing that Patrick McGinnis is gonna say and has said to me over and over, it's not a, it's, it, for most people, it's not like, for him, it's not like a snap of the finger. What, what, what happens? How does he do? Well, one thing that's so important is worship. You know, our personal time, or coming to worship together. And we wor there's something powerful that happens when we worship together. I like worshiping alone, um, but, but there's something powerful that happens when we worship together. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you worship four times, I mean, you go to corporate worship once a week, once a week, every Sunday, four times a month, Right? When New Life started, we realized that the, the going trend then at that point was three out of four weeks. If somebody comes three out of four weeks, those are your regulars. About 10 years ago, it became two out of four weeks. If some, how large is your church? Well, we're not quite, you're never quite sure because most people are coming, regular people come twice a month. Since COVID, now it's zero. <laughs> um, many people just aren't coming back. And I think there are a lot of people who end up being sick and they, they lose, spiritually, they, they lose the strength and comfort that, know, that comes from knowing the good shepherd because they miss out on worship. The other thing I would add to you, again, this is not rocket science, but studying the Bible daily. Study after study has shown that people who grow spiritually, one of the things that they all have in common with rare, rare exceptions is they read the Bible daily, something in the Bible daily, which is why we've been encouraged everybody, hey, let us know if you're reading the Bible daily because we wanna do this together as a church. Know that you're not alone in this. Maybe you wanna join other people in a daily Bible reading. That's why this summer we're doing a daily Bible reading uh, called the History, Heroes of the Bible and you can join, it's gonna start this Thursday and it, we're just gonna read the stories of the different heroes th of the Bible through, um, through this summer. So you can sign up for this and then people are gonna make some comments on it to give us some thoughts and, and to guide our, 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 um, our, our, our meditations in this time too. But you can join that, but it's a, another way. You're, you're gonna have a hard time moving from, from the Lord being general and distant to being close if you don't get to know him through his word. I would add to that, it's important that we have walk with Christian friends. 
I, it occurred to me this past week, I, 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 I'm so thankful that I'm in the Bible studies that I'm in. But, and they're really Bible discussions. We just kind of read the Bible together and we ask the same questions. What do you hear God saying? What do you find interesting? What do you find difficult? How do we apply this? How, if, how, what, how, what should we act on this week? What does God want us to do to change our lives? How can we share this with somebody else this week? It's just basically the same questions week after week after week. And every time um, we leave those conversations I always think, or somebody else says, I never would have gotten out of this passage what we got out of it today if I had just been reading it alone. It's just so rich when we walk through the Bible together. And by the way, that's also when we become community. You know who's walking with Patrick McGinnis closely through this time of this difficult time? His Friday Bible study group, his... um, uh, his Saturday morning Bible study group. When, when he called me this week and said, N- have to take Nicholas to the hospital and he's in tears, he says, Brett, let the groups know. And immediately people are praying for him. You gotta walk together. Sharing Jesus is so crucial. You want Jesus to become real? You know the reason why lots of people, there are people who read the Bible, they worship regularly and they're in Bible study, but Jesus is not as real to them as when you actually share Jesus. Jesus, go and make disciples. What happens when you share Jesus? When you just start a spiritual conversation? What happens is, for most of us, unless you're extroverted and really good at this and you're like two out of a thousand of us. Most of us, it's like, I don't know what I'm gonna say. I hope I'll have the right things to say. I don't know the questions to ask. Lord, you have to lead me. Lord, you have to show up. And when we start those conversations and Jesus shows up, we experience Jesus in the middle of those conversations and we realize he is with me. He is close to me. But if you never take the step of obedience, see, it begins with obedience and then he shows up. But if you never take the step of obedience, you never experience his power in the obedience and so he feels distant from you. That's why we ask people, if you share, let us know you share. If you want us to help you share, if you want to help us, if you want us to help you with your questions or whatever, later on, we're glad to help you in any way, but you got to share. And then, by the way, you're also going to learn through suffering. God uses our suffering to draw us closer to him. Now, what's your next step? I would close by reminding you that you never find a sheep that chooses a shepherd. You never have Shepard line up like a kickball team selection at the playground where the sheep are kind of like, I like that athletic looking guy over there. And well, I kind of like the short pudgy preacher looking guy over here or whatever. The sheep don't choose the shepherd. The shepherd choose the sheep. They purchase the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The Bible tells us that you have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God to be sheep in his fold. You were bought with a price. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You have been chosen by God. Now, you can stray. You can follow the crowd. You can rebel against his shepherding of you. He gives you that choice. But I want you to know today, the good shepherd has already purchased you for himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And now the question is, will you follow? Old preachers used to say, every day is election day. 
Every day, God votes for you. Satan votes against you. You cast the deciding vote. You are as close to the good shepherd as you want to be. How will you vote to follow him right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are in this place. We live in times where we really do identify with the vulnerability of the sheep. And we thank you that you are a good shepherd, mighty, strong, true, faithful, good, providing, forgiving, merciful, kind, that you carry us. Lord, I pray that in this moment, everybody within the sound of my voice would know you have chosen each to be yours. That you have purchased us. We're bought with a price. So now, Lord, we would honor you with our lives. We want to walk with you because you are the good shepherd. Through Christ I pray. Amen.